Hello and welcome to Saving Animals with Blank Park Zoo. I'm Ryan Bickle. On today's show, we're going to be speaking with Jenny Kovac, an animal keeper on the Blank Park Zoo carnivore primate team. So she's been uh, working with seals and sea lions and lions and lion cubs and uh, our Japanese macaques. And uh, she's had a, a, a great experience uh, back in 2016 where she was able to do conservation in a, a wild area. And we're going to speak to her uh, in a little bit. But first, Jessie Lowry is with us today, and she's going to get our show started for us. Thanks, Ryan. I'm Jessie Lowry, Director of Conservation and Research here at Blank Park Zoo. And I always like to set the stage at the beginning of our show and talk about the role of zoos in saving wildlife. The mission of Blank Park Zoo is to inspire an appreciation of the natural world through conservation, education, research, and recreation. And basically what I see it is it's a window to the wild, a place where we invite the community to come and see snow leopards and lions and tigers and sea lions and all the amazing animals that Jenny gets to take care of at the zoo um, and feel that sense of awe that we all feel but it's our job as a modern zoo to turn that sense of awe into a real conservation action, something that's actually going to make a difference to the environment, to wild populations of animals, um, and really help save these animals that we care so much about. And Blank Park Zoo does conservation in a multitude of ways. One way is to be as green as we possibly can in our business practices, our day-to-day -day practices, and we encourage our public to do the same uh, because our consumptive behaviors and um, sustainability has a direct effect on wildlife, especially local wildlife here in Iowa. Uh, we always say if you want to get the most bang for your buck, you should take care of your local environment. And so we're a leader here in Iowa. A couple examples are our Plant Grow Fly Pollinator Conservation Project, where we encourage people to plant butterfly gardens in their yard, at their school, at their place of business. And also our Upcycle Campaign, where we remove invasive plant species from local parks, helping to give those native plants a place to grow. Another thing, and really the backbone of what a zoo can do to help save wildlife, is the financial and in-kind support of those field organizations, those people and organizations that are out on the front lines in the range countries of the, of the animals of, that we have here at the zoo. Um, so, of course, we have tigers here at the zoo. They're critically endangered, so we support tiger conservation campaign in the Russia Far East every year. We've got rhinos here, only 800 eastern black rhinos left in the wild. And so we support International Rhino Foundation that uh, works to save rhinos in every country in which they exist. And the list goes on. Uh, the, the important part to remember here is that every time you visit Blank Park Zoo, you're helping to save animals in the wild. Because a portion of every dollar that we make goes to some of the, all of these projects that we talked about. And, and, of course, we're just scratching the surface of what we do here at Blank Park Zoo. Um, and so it's neat. It means that every employee at the zoo is saving animals in their various roles. And it means that every single person that supports us is helping to save animals. You know, some people might think that Blank Park Zoo is a small zoo. We like to say that we're intimate. Um, but it's a great place to come out on a, a fun family outing, and you can see the whole zoo in, in just a few hours. And we have a staff of, it's only about 50 or 60 on our off-season, and of course we get much larger um, during the summer when we've got all those ticket take takers and the train drivers and the concession workers. 
But within that small staff, we have experts in everything from animal husbandry to veterinary care to videography um, to, you know, every single thing that we need to be experts in to take the best possible care of our animals. And Ginny is an expert in marine mammals and uh, the other animals under her care. And so when she had the opportunity to go and volunteer for an organization on the West Coast to help rehab marine mammals, um, something that's been a passion of hers for a long time, she really jumped at the chance and was able to leverage support from other organizations to help get her there. And um, her passion really shows in her everyday job here at the zoo. And so we're so excited, Jenny. Welcome again to the show. And we're so excited to finally hear about this trip that you had um, a couple years ago. So welcome again to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So first, let's talk just a little bit about yourself and your role here at Blank Park Zoo. Um, Ryan and I both mentioned a couple of the amazing animal species that you get to work with here at the zoo, but let's talk about um, your role as a zookeeper here at Blank Park Zoo. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have been working here at Blank Park Zoo as an animal keeper for a little more than four years now, um, and I've been in the zookeeping field um, for about eight to eight to nine years now. So yeah, lots of great experience. Um, but yeah, at Blink Park Zoo, I get to work with uh, California sea lions and Pacific Harbor seals every day. Um, they are my passion. I love them. Um, I also get to work with our Magellanic penguin colony here, our North American river otters, our ring-tailed lemurs, our gibbons, our Japanese snow macaque monkeys, and then all of our large cats. So our lions, like you mentioned, our tigers, and our snow leopard. So it's a great department, lots of diversity, and lots of fun animals to get to work with and learn from. I was a zookeeper for many years, and I also love primates, um, but I got to take care of the golden-headed tamarins, which is not under your care. No, no. And I just have to say that they are pretty awesome to take care of. But I'm jealous because I've always wanted to um, you know, have a close relationship with those gibbons. Is, the gibbons are they amazing are, to work with? They're so much fun, yes. I worked with gibbons once before at another facility, and um, coming back and getting the opportunity um, with our kind of restructuring that just happened um, reminded me how much I missed working with primates, and it's fun getting to getting to work with them again. And where did you work um, as a zookeeper before Blank Park Zoo? Before Blank Park Zoo, I worked at Brookfield Zoo in Chicago and then Miller Park Zoo in Bloomington, Illinois, which is even smaller than, than uh, Blank Park Zoo, but it's still AZA-accredited and, and great. So The Gibbons, they have that... A uh, very cool call they oh, do yes. every morning. Now, why do they just do that in the morning? Well, it, they don't just do it in the morning, but it's usually right when they come out um, onto their onto the exhibit outside. Um, it's kind of a greeting, it's communication, and it's it's a lot of fun um, as as they do it. So, yeah, you definitely know when they're they want to be heard. Right? Yes, absolutely. That that sound can carry for for very very far distances. And they share a natural range with the orangutans, and they also have a long call like mm-hmm. that that would that really carries in the, in the rainforest yeah. habitat that they that they live in. Well, tell us about um, the Pacific Marine Mammal Center, um, and just kind of about its its goals, and then we'll move into talking about uh, your experience working for them. Yeah, so the Pacific Marine Mammal Center is located in Laguna Beach, California, and they are a non for profit as like. Um, like like we are, but they focus on um, the rehabilitation, the rescue, rehabilitation, and release of marine mammals. 
Um, they're part of a stranding network along the, the west coast of our of our country, so down all the way from San Diego all the way up to uh, Washington, Oregon State. There are stranding networks all around the coast, so the whole coastline can be covered. So if there is a marine mammal stranding, whether it's a cetacean like a whale or a dolphin or a pinniped like a sea lion or something, a network, there's, there's, a, there's a facility that is nearby and um, kind of patrolling that area that can rescue that animal, rehabilitate it, and hopefully if it can be released, they release it. So, so why do these animals strand? Good question. So there's a lot of different kind of reasons for that. Um, it can be pollution. It can be biotoxins from harmful algae blooms. It can be just, you know, infections and sickness. It can be change in water temperatures caused by El Nino kind of um, effects. Um, but, yeah, because um, when I went out, I was a part of a group that was responding to a UME, which stands for an unusual mortality event. Um, NOAA, a government agency, declares these, um, and it's defined as an a, um, unusual mortality event, which affects marine mammal um, species, and it's um, unexpected, it's mass um, die-off or strandings, and it demands immediate attention, kind of. So once NOAA declared this, um, they kind of tried to gather as many um, people that had experience with marine mammals, trainers at different facilities, or these stranding networks um, that are along the coastline have a great volunteer base. Um, so they were able to kind of get ready and get prepared um, because they were noticing trends in mass strandings already back in 2012, 2013. Um, in 2015, uh, there was an El Nino effect, and so that caused that warmer water temperatures to push. So there's a nice cold water current down our, our west coast that has a lot of nutrient-rich waters that bring in fish, and so the sea lions and marine mammals go to that cold water current to feed. With an El Nino effect, that warm water kind of replaces that cold water, and it pushes it further out to, sh out to sea. So it takes those marine mammals, like the sea lions, a lot more energy to swim all the way out to the cold water where all the fish are and then come back to nurse their pups or, or take care of them. So because of that, they weren't able to, you know, they had too much energy spent to, to come back and take care of their animals and, or take care of their pups. So, yeah. And so a lot of the pups were starving. And, and sometimes maybe the parents just didn't, weren't able to make it back. Correct. And yeah. so is that what you were mostly dealing with in 2016? Yes. Yeah. So um, there was, because we had that El Nino that was still going on in 2016, uh, mothers, pregnant mothers, um, weren't able to kind of provide enough nutrients for themselves, but they still were able to give birth, but they weren't able to take care of those pups. So that resulted in premature weaning. Um, so normally sea lion pups are with their mothers for about nine months to 12 months even. Um, they were weaning a lot earlier than that. And then so once they're weaned, they're on their own um, trying to find food. And unfortunately, if moms can't find it, pups aren't probably going to be able to find it either. And so that's what we were seeing a lot of mass strandings on of sea lion pups that were right around 
7 to 12 or 7 12 months old um, but ranging in weights that were a lot closer to newborn weights between 18 to 26 pounds where on average for a 3 month old it's more of like double that so we were seeing just very very emaciated and starving sea lion pups so uh, there's this event and you go out there to to help take us through what you were doing yeah so um, this amazing Jennifer Call with Start Logistics was part of this coordinator of um, I was able to give her these dates that I was going to be available and she looked where the need was most along that stranding networks and that's why I got placed to go to the Pacific Marine Mammal Center. Um, so once I, I got there, I was um, just immediately immersed in helping with um, all of the marine mammals and taking care of them. So just to give you an idea of my my day, um, it was about twelve hour plus days of of working. So when the sun came up at six or seven, I was already there at the facility, and we had about one hundred and twenty California sea lion pups, around thirteen elephant seal pups, two fur seals, and two harbor seals. So it was a full, full, full house, and majority of these sea lion pups coming in, they even they're very emaciated, um, and even if we put a big bowl of fish in front of them, they wouldn't know what to do with them. They just are so dehydrated. So it's a lot of getting fluids in them and getting them tube-fed, which it needs to be done each individual. So you can't – it takes a long time, you can probably imagine, to tube-feed 120 or so sea lion pups. Um, thankfully, when I was there – we only had maybe about 50 of those actually needed to be tube-fed, and the rest were starting to eat fish on their own. But So over the course of those kind of 12 hours being at the facility, we would do three feedings throughout the day, and then in between those feedings, cleaning absolutely everything. All these animals not only are coming in with compromised immune systems because of their the, the condition of their bodies, but... They have kind of a parasite load already and things that are already affecting them. So, And there's so many of them that we needed to clean as quickly and as often as possible just to make sure that they're staying nice and healthy and being able to have a quicker rehabilitation process to get to be released. And then in between all of that um, and doing water changes on their pools, um, we would do uh, some medical things, um, collecting samples, running samples, and then lots and lots of fish preparation for their diets. Um, we went through a whole cartload of, of fish, and then we sort them just like we do here at Blank Park Zoo um, to make sure each fish that we're feeding out is an excellent quality, that there's no um, compromises of that fish that it could be another source of um, parasites or um, infection that we're feeding out. And then, yeah, um, while I was there, I was able to be a part of a couple rescues and uh, one uh, release event that was amazing. So when a sea lion does not have as much food as normal, it's more than just weight loss. It also affects some long-term um, health issues for them, like their eyes, right? Um, it can. So... Well, we were seeing, uh, th well, with two of our individuals here at Blank Park Zoo that um, Zoe and Addie are two um, of our younger sea lion pups, or not actually pups anymore. Um, they will be six and seven this summer. Um, 
But they stranded in the wilds and at different rehabilitation centers. And during their kind of uh, evaluation and their rehab, they were found to have mature cataracts, um, Addie in one eye and Zoe in both of her eyes. And we're seeing that coming being more common, not across the board, but usually you see cataracts in more of your geriatric or your older animals, but we're starting to see those in our younger ones. So people have been looking into, okay, where is this? How is this coming about? What could be the cause of it? And the last that I looked into it, what they were finding was it's partly that the mothers aren't getting the fatty fish that they're used to getting that they kind of need, like those sardines and anchovies, um, because they're just they're just not out there. Um, and so they're not getting the right nutrients to being able to pass on to their their pups in utero, and then partly of environmental factors of pollution and things like that could be causing those eye problems that we're seeing. What really surprised you about going out there and, and helping those animals? Oh, I, just a lot. A lot surprised me, um, ranging from this the dedication of the volunteers that, that work there. Um, there's only a handful of full-time staff that run the facility of the Pacific Marine Mammal Center, um, and they are so knowledgeable, so wonderful, and so welcoming um, to to volunteers, to myself, people that are only going to be there for 10 or so days, um, willing to, to teach what they know. Um, so that was, you know, very surprising to being able to just be welcomed and taught and, you know, used right away. The sheer number of animals um, being seen, them that we, you know, the 120 in, in not a, you know, they were, we were definitely to capacity and they were doing just amazing, amazing work with them all. Um, there was a staff person there, um, that could identify every single sea lion. Um, so when they come in, because we need to keep track of each individual to make sure that they're getting the proper nutrition and vitamins and any supplements that they possibly could need. But they, what they do is they, everyone gets a number and they have a feral marking system, which each number has a symbol attached to it, right? And then they shave that into the side of their fur. So it's not permanent. It doesn't hurt. And then, but it's there for their duration of the, of their rehabilitation. But even without that, she could just look at these individuals and and no, that's that's so and so. That's avocado. That's it's amazing. Things like that. Do you know what the percentage of sea lions that could be re-released are? I don't know the exact percentage, but when I was there, um, we only had we had three that were already deemed like non-releasable, uh-huh. but. I think for the most part, it's a high percentage that they're able to rehabilitate and then release. And so when they're not releasable, they'll go to accredited zoos or sanctuaries. Yeah, that's what they try to do. Um, when I was there, one of the harbor seals, uh, Ziggy was her, her name given to her. She was um, very, she was found um, and rescued uh, right after, must have been right after giving she was born. She still had her umbilicus attached, and because of that such early stranding, 
that she was going to be imprinted and just not be able to take care of herself. So they knew kind of right away that she was going to have to be placed. Um, so when I was there, I was able to actually start operant conditioning and training with her to get her just a little heads up when she was going to get eventually placed at a facility, um, which I believe now she's at the L.A. Zoo. So it's nice and close to, to Laguna Beach so they can go and visit her. So talk a little bit more about operant conditioning. Absolutely. Um, Operant conditioning is a training technique that we we utilize here at Blank Park Zoo. And it's it's great in the sense that it gives the animal a choice. They can choose to to participate or not. And through operant conditioning, it basically is if you see something you like, you reinforce it by giving the animal something that they find reinforcing. So for sea lions, we use fish in our training. They love it. Now, it's not for everybody, but they love it. And so when we're training a behavior and we it, we see the animal do the behavior, we will give them a fish. And that operant conditioning sense that the more reinforced the behavior is, the more likely the animal or whatever you're you're working with is going to repeat that for you know that behavior. Um, so we use positive reinforcement training here, with which just means that we don't use any punishers or negative things. Um, the animal gets to choose if they they want to do it, they can, and if they don't want to do it, that's fine too. There's just as much communication to us when they don't do a behavior because it's, is it scary? Was it confusing? Does something hurt you? And that's why you are choosing not to do that behavior. So we like to, you know, use that training time to really get, um, work on our relationships with our animals and then work on, you know, getting them enriched all over. So mentally, physically, and then we have them through training participate in their own health care. So we get to do um, behaviors that, like eye drops with our sea lions, um, voluntary x-rays, things like that, that we can make it into a game so it's not scary and they enjoy it because they're getting fish and it's not it's not scary anymore. Um, and then when if something happens that we have these um, behaviors trained in place so um, it's not you know, bad and scary and we can take, they can help us take care of them. Yeah, because sometimes um, we're able to help the animal with uh, ultrasounds or x-rays without having to use immobilizing drugs, and, and that uh, is a healthier option definitely for the animal, correct? Absolutely, yeah. Anytime that we can avoid an immobilization, um, especially with our sea lions and seals because they are conscious breathers, so they're having they're aware of every breath that they take. So like when we go to sleep, we don't have to worry about breathing, which is really great, but they have to be somewhat part of their brain always has to be awake and aware of every breath. They have so, a, they have an extreme case of sleep apnea. They do. Yeah. They do. So when we do an immobilization, we have an anesthesiologist that is in charge of basically breathing for them while they are unconscious. Um so yeah. 
And so that's something that we want to avoid doing in any any time that we can and, and be able to do those non-invasive, um, you know, care for, for the medical procedures that we need to do. And especially, um, you know, for the eye problems that sea lions have both in human care as well as in the wild, um, we can alleviate a lot of those problems easily by just training them to accept eye drops. Yes. And I had the amazing opportunity to take care of the sea lions and seals for years. And that was truly one of the most rewarding parts of my zookeeping career was seeing just how much they love that training and that amazing deep relationship that we can have with those animals. They're happy to see us in the morning. We're happy to see them. It's just, you know, um, really close to the relationship that you would have with your family dog. And it was just an amazing, amazing experience. Before we run out of time, we've got just a few minutes left. Tell us what it was like to release an animal back into the wild. Yeah, absolutely. So there, um, their rehabilitation usually can take right around three three months, depending on a bunch of factors. But uh, two individuals that were there before I got there uh, were just finishing up their, their rehabilitation. And so we got to um, put them in, in our in the crates and then drive them over to a local beach. They really get the community involved, and they so they invited a local school over. Um, and so families could, could witness this and kind of be more invested and, and a part of, of their community and their environment. And so we got to open the door and they, we had two of them. They went out, ran out to the beach, to the ocean. And as far as we could see them, they were together, which is, doesn't always happen. Sometimes one just bolts and the other one goes in a different direction, but these two stayed together the entire way. And I have no shame in saying that I just was crying like a child. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever been a part of and getting to, you know, work there at the facility to be rehabbing and and getting these animals healthy, but then also bringing it back here to Blank Park Zoo and giving a home to those that didn't, weren't able to be released and getting to be in their lives every day. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, many of our pinnipeds are animals that couldn't go back, and so uh, we provided homes, and uh, we have several of those. And Addie, do, yeah. Addie is one that is uh, a rescue, mm-hmm. and you can always tell who she is because uh, she has some markings on her side. Could you tell us Correct. real quickly about that? Because people are always curious about yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. So Addie is our youngest. She, like I said, will be six this summer. But she uh, she was born in the San Miguel Islands along California coastline. And we know that because she was part of a government study. They were trying to study remotely the sea lion pups. So when she was very young, um, she received that marking on her side so they could tell individuals by from a distance so after she received that, she stranded, and at the rehab facility that she was at, it was determined that she actually had mature cataract in one of her eyes. So she was deemed non-releasable because without that good vision, she's not going to be able to hunt and survive or avoid predators. So she came here, and as she's grown, that marking has grown with her, but mm-hmm. I call it her beauty mark. It's very easy to yep. tell who she mm-hmm. is, and um, she's she's a joy, um, yeah. but... We recently, I think it was, yeah, last year, went through cataract removal surgery with her. So all of our sea lions. She can see a lot better, I hear. Yeah, she can. And Zoe as well. Well, that's really great. And I think we're just about out of time. So thanks for joining us today. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. And check out our YouTube channel, Blank Park Zoo's YouTube channel, because we have lots of videos of our pinnipeds. And while you're at the zoo this summer, make sure you check out the sea lion demonstration. It's twice a day, and you'll learn a lot about our pinnipeds and how you can help, right here in Des Moines, how you can help protect our oceans. Um, So join us next time on Saving Animals with Blank Park Zoo.